the golden rule is wrong. You know, the golden rule is do unto others as you would have done unto you. Ultimately, it's the other way around. It's do unto others as they would prefer to have done unto them. This is The One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at The One Thing Team. About a month ago, I was in a training with Gary Keller where he was teaching us about what it means to truly build financial wealth. Those notes ended up becoming episode 59. So if you missed that episode, go back and listen to that one. One of the things that he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, is that a truly wealthy person has enough passive income to fund their life's purpose. The way that we view businesses is not just something that makes money or that helps customers or delivers value. It's a vehicle for you to live a big life, for you to live a life and make the kind of impact that you want to be making to fund your life's purpose. The question is, are you building a sustainable company that scales? This is a question that has been in the back of our mind for the last few years. Since the beginning of the podcast, we've been very transparent about the mistakes we made. In fact, episode nine was titled, The Big Mistake We Made That You May Be Making Right Now. For the first year in business, we focused on selling. We focused on driving revenue, growing the business. The problem with that was that we were not considering you. We weren't considering the customer experience. We weren't considering the brand that we were building. Everything changed after that. It's the reason we launched the One Thing podcast. It's the reason we launched the Living Your One Thing membership. Because we knew if we could first and foremost focus on you, delivering value to you, creating an experience for you where you feel special, you feel respected, and you get value, if we were to serve you, we would be able to grow a thriving business. You've heard back in episode one, I mentioned the the Jim Rohn quote, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with and how this quote has impacted me. If you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, who are the people you're surrounding yourself with who model the type of business that you want to be building? As I asked this question, I looked out and benchmarked and said, what are the companies that have scaled really massive businesses and have done it in a way where they have built real trust with their audience? The man you're going to meet today was the former Senior Vice President of Acquisition and Media at Beachbody. You may know their products as P90X, Insanity, the 20-Day Fix, Shakeology. He led the team that grew them from $100 to a $1 billion in revenue. And he did it while building trust with their customers. So I could think of no better person to reach out to and have a conversation about how do you strike that tension between delivering short-term revenue, which you need to keep the lights on, while also building trust and building a brand that will scale. With that, let's get into my conversation with Babak Azad. I feel really fortunate because I get the opportunity to work with so many amazing people in our community and our customers and get to be a part of their world and they trust me with being a part of their goals. And more often than not, almost everyone is focused on health. And at the core of that is diet and eating a balanced diet. But eating this kind of diet, it's a huge time commitment and it's easy to get knocked off track. That's why it's so great to have a solution when you don't have the time 
to do the prepping and the cooking and the cleanup, but you still want to eat healthy. That's why we partner with Factor, and Factor is chef-created, dietitian-approved meals that are ready to go in just two minutes. With Factor, there's no prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. The variety of different options and meals that they have is really impressive, but go see for yourself. Head to factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150 to get 50% off. That's code 150 at factormeals.com slash 150 to get 50% off. How did you first get involved with Beachbody? Uh, Well, it was one of those uh, things that people talk about when you have a very fast process and kind of everything kind of fits in together. I was working at Napster at the time, the the legal and public version. And so not nearly (laughs) that exciting. We were getting, this was back in 04. 07, but from 04 to 07, I was there. And that's when we were getting crushed by the iPod and everything was 99 cent downloads. So subscription music, everyone scoffed at. That's when Blockbuster entered um, and was competing with Netflix. And everyone said Netflix was done. So that was a pretty miserable time, frankly. I'm glad you see how that worked out for everybody. But I got a call from a headhunter on literally caught a call on a Thursday. I got a, uh, I called him back on Friday, interviewed Monday, had an offer Tuesday and gave two and a half weeks notice on Wednesday. So it was literally that fast. That For me, that entry point was into Beachbody was uh, on the finance side. And uh, I had had an investment banking and I'd gone to Stanford Business School. So I had that as a background. So I was never, my goal was never to be CFO. I said it in my interview, I'll say it today, but I knew that I was excited about health and fitness and wellness. And I knew of the brands through a former life. And, uh, and so, yeah, I figured I'll take a 25% pay cut uh, go on in and we'll figure it out. And that's what happened. So you walked into an established business. Um, it had a brand. Was there trust with the customers or what did, what did that look like at the time? Yeah. I mean, I would argue that we've probably throughout the entire experience, I think there were always places we could have done better. So at that time it was a hundred million dollar business, which I think even when I think about it today, where the processes, systems, level of just everything would have probably you would expect it to have i think probably been higher but i think that's also just businesses grow and the the organization hasn't caught up and so from a certainly from a brand from the operational and all that side we were trying to catch up and then from the brand side you know i think it's still it was very much an infomercial business and what i mean by that is today now there's a heavy network marketing business it's like an amway herbal life type model with shakeology uh, i'm sure some of the listeners have, have been pitched it from from friends or whoever but at that point, it was a heavy, heavy infomercial business. And, you know, we would basically drive to the phone and web. Web was still relatively early at that point from an from a infomercial side. And, you know, it was the drive them to a phone call, try to keep upselling them, offering them more. And so I think I would argue that at that point, we still were not doing a great job um, of, of really building that brand. And, you know, I think the general model for a direct response, like infomercial marketer, was really to get as much value as you could on the front end, especially in fitness, on the first day, because you just don't know how much more you're going to be able to, you know, how much more revenues you're going to generate. Um, It's a very different model, I think, than general e-commerce businesses. And um, and frankly, this was in 07, this is 10 years ago, a very different world, I think, that we were living in and, and how social and reviews and Amazon and all these things were a part of it. I think the the world we're in today is very, very different. And how you have to run your business is very different than the one I walked into 10 years ago. Well, what you just said struck me because it's it's 
one of the ahas I had in year one that everything that we were doing to start this training company around the one thing was inherently, for the first year at least, chasing short-term dollars over building long-term brand. Yeah, no, and I think it's very easy to do that. And I think, uh, I'm also sensitive that if when you're a small business and you may not have resources and cash flow that you can tap into and this idea of waiting, uh, I think is a very, very difficult proposition. And so, I mean, I have a small business, right, of my own now. And I left Beachbody a couple of years ago, but so I'm very sensitive to it on that side. I'm not, you know, I'm supporting my wife, mortgage and a couple of kids, right? So that idea though of playing in the playing for the long term is a really tough challenge practically and financially. And then, you know, the reality is if you don't win the short term, the long term is a move, right? So that there's those are absolutely tensions, but I've definitely seen that, you know, trying to when when people are using the words like extract the value out of your customers and you know, just you're trying to this churn and burn model and trying to get as much as you can out of day zero, generally speaking, that probably means that you're not working on building a brand. And and so I think, yeah, we can talk certainly obviously more about that, but that, that that puts you in a certain position, but I'm also sensitive of, to the fact that you know people are trying to generate cash flow and pay bills and things like that. So this is a tension you got to try to manage through. Well, let's I guess let's go back to the basics. What is a brand? Yeah, I mean, so I mean, look, I think a lot of people have their own version of it. I think in business school, you know, a brand is something where that commands a premium over the generic. You know, the I think people, I think it's a little bit like the whole porn thing when you you know it when you see it. Um, and so, right. And I think people like people have their own idea of what, which, what are brands out there, whether it's Amazon or Coca-Cola or whatever that is. And so it's a, you know, it's a company in that name, but really, I think there are two key components to it. Um, one is for me, brand is about customer experience. And, and I think it's not even sometimes like, what is your brand? But like, does the word brand come into your conversation on a daily basis? Um, certainly on a weekly basis, but you know, and for me, that translates into what is the experience you want for your customer? And um, it's not about necessarily spend dollars to get your brand out there in media. And that's the old, the traditional Madison Avenue, you know, the frankly, the 50s and 60s. And today, you know, the, the consumer, the CPG, the consumer products uh, model of just build the brand and get the brand awareness out there and then sales will come. And I think the world we're living in is you can't do that today. So, you know, from one side, brand is about what's that a customer experience. And then the other side is also what do people think about that experience? And that's the part where you really, as much as you try to affect it and control it, there's a lot that's out of our control as as marketers. And so, you know, it's a question of when people hear your name and your quote unquote brand name, what do they think? And so sometimes they have a physical reaction. Sometimes it's emotional. What does that brand stand for? You know, it's what I tell you, it's not. It's not the logo and it's not just the words, but it's what's that experience and that perspective and those set of values that consumers have about your business or clients if it's a B2B business. So, you know, and I think that's that's the part where, you know, when you I kind of tell people like if you if someone if you meet one of your customers or clients on the street and you mention you're the founder, you know, what's their What's their first thought, right? Uh, do they love you? Do they want to punch you? Like, if, would they be happy to wear a T-shirt? You know, those are I, there's some questions I ask people about. You know, are you starting to build a brand, and what do the, your customers and your clients? What do they think about it? And what's that? What's that memory? What's that emotion? And again, in B two B, it's maybe you don't create an emotion like you do a consumer brand, but again, it's what is that experience? And I know we've all had problems with software and. 
have wanted to throw it at the, throw our computers at the wall. So there's experience there. And then there's some software that, you know, we all love, right? So I'm not sure I'm going to wear a t-shirt for Slack or for Skype or whatever, but there is a set of emotions and, you know, that brand does stand for something good or bad. Well, the, and I, this is, I think is a good opportunity for us to pause. And for the people who are listening to this, when you think about your company, whether it's, whether it's you're a business owner or if you are an employee in an organization, what is the experience that your customers have when they think of your company? It's, it's almost like I wish you and I had talked about a year ago, back. Um, but it's something that we kind of fell into just asking the question, what will the experience be? And we realized every interaction, we wanted people to feel special, respected, and get value. Whether it's a podcast, reading an email, buying one of our master courses, anything they need to feel special, they need to feel respected, they need to get value. We need to serve them. And that has driven everything, which ultimately has it's been a huge catalyst for for growth. I just didn't realize we were following kind of more of a formula. Can I ask what did it take for you for that shift to happen for you all? There was a, um, a very clear defining moment. And I talked about this in episode 38. One of the first things I was assessed on, Gary and Jay told me I had 90 days to do three things. One of them was to deliver $100,000 in revenue <laughs> out of thin air. So I created Time Blocking Mastery. We launched it and you know I accomplished that. Yet when we tried to create a webinar that would sell it um, through Facebook ads on an evergreen basis, which for people who don't know what that means, it basically means that uh, you see a Facebook ad, you sign up for the training, uh, you sign up and, and you end up enough people end up purchasing that if we were to pay for ads, it would be profitable. We did the webinar, made more money than we had ever made on a single webinar. And when I closed it down, Jay and I looked at each other and we said, it's broken. Because earlier that day, we had been on the phone with the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and we asked the question, if that CEO was on this training right now, would he still want to do business with us? And the answer was no. So I went back to the drawing board and said, there's no amount of money. That's where it was so clear. There's no amount of money that I can make that will warrant us undermining the brand of the one thing, the brand of Gary Keller or Jay Papazan. We have to do it the right way. And if that means we sacrifice dollars to build trust, then that's what we will do. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's interesting. I actually, I pose the question to people, if you were being interviewed on TV, how concerned would you be for people to walk through your business or to see your business? Or how comfortable are you telling your your mom or your kids about your, about your business? And I think it's like that kind of your comment about the CEO, it, it resonates with me. And I think the reality actually of today is, the questions about, you know, are people listening? Are they watching on TV? Are they going to, is your mom or your car, your kids going to hear about it? Actually, the answer is yes. Whether you're actually doing a undercover boss TV show or otherwise, because in the form of Glassdoor, Amazon, customer reviews, social media, whatever it is, that's actually happening. Mm -hmm. I kind of operate both personally and professionally now as if I'm always being videotaped because it's actually, there's, a, practically, there's a really good chance I am. But then from the other side, people talk. And whether it's they talk, you know, it's there's it's verbal and it's you don't see it printed or it's literally in the form of reviews or on Amazon or Glassdoor. And by the way, Glassdoor is employee stuff, but that affects your ability to sell. It affects your ability to recruit. So those kinds of things are happening all the time. And I think especially early on, again, I think early on, it's very easy to just get so focused on sales. And frankly, that's what you have to be focused on. The question, though, is at what expense? 
And a year down the road, what, what are you going to think about what you're doing and um, as you're trying to get something going? Let's go down that road because I, I want to talk to the person who is either starting that business or they are in a larger corporation where they've been tasked with launching this project and, and getting it profitable. Yet, of course, you have to protect the brand. How do you strike the right tension? There's no perfect answer, right? And there's no, I don't think uh, there's an exact formula. I think, I, I mean, there's a lot of things about start with the end in mind. And I think knowing where you're going is a really important part of this. And so that's sometimes the simplistic approach to start, at least, which is what do you actually think you're trying to build? And obviously, anytime you're starting, you know, two days, 60 days, six months, there's a good chance you're going to be in a different place than where you thought you were going to be. But at least have some of those ideas in mind, and then you can adjust them real time if you need to. But I think knowing, having a sense of what you're trying to do and what you're trying to build. By the way, I know people who are more than happy being in a churn and burn business. And it's the offer of the day, whatever, it doesn't matter. They just want to sell some product and and uh, they really don't care. I mean, frankly, this conversation is not for them, right? And so the if you're trying to build something sustainable and scalable, you know, I think you have to have that in mind. And again, whether that means six figures, eight figures a year, you know, a billion dollars, a lot of the, the philosophies and approach are very much the same. So I don't think it's, you know, building scale doesn't mean you have to be a build to a billion. And that certainly doesn't mean success by any stretch. So I think knowing, though, what is it? And you may be mission driven or it may be build a brand or it may be serve a certain market or it may be a nonprofit. Right. So but I think having a sense of where you're trying to go, like I think people oftentimes just get going. And by the way, sometimes it's just freedom for yourself and for your family. And, you know, you just want to be able to leave your job and be able to take trips and provide. Right. That could be it. But I think still understanding that even in that world, and that's part of that's that's mine. I'll talk to that. You know, I want to have something though that it's not just one year and two year. It's not short lived, right? And so I think starting with the end in mind is a big thing. And then you there is this tension of, um, and you have to have some kind of compass for yourself of what you're trying to do, and you have to be focused on generating sales and revenue. That's you know you shouldn't be in hardcore optimization mode. But again, it's a question of. Can you catch yourself or stop and reset or have a mentor or a friend or someone who's saying, look, are you building it with that end in mind? And, you know, I think some things are very clear, black and white and, you know, where they should you probably shouldn't be doing it. But it's a question of those gray things. And I'll give you an example. So I think sometimes there are things that are better for your customer that are going to cost you more money. And I think there are times where sometimes you're going to have to bite that bullet and you know you're not going to be able to invest. You just don't have the money to invest in better technology, or if it's a, like you have a subscription and you want people to cancel online as opposed to a call, right? Just a s super simple thing. But sometimes it, it's a better experience for your customer and better for your brand to be able to do that, um, to offer it online, but you just can't afford it. And sometimes you, you're going to have to bite the bullet and say, I'm going to take that short-term hit because I literally just can't afford it. And so the answer is not always, always do something with, always do the financially right thing that's better for your brand at the expense of your continuing to be in business, right? It's not that super simplistic and without context. And so sometimes you're gonna have to deal with that and you know it's not the best thing for your customer, but it's, are you keeping that kind of thing in mind and are you trying to work towards you know, making those improvements? So again, it's, it's not black and white and it's not without context and practicality. 
but it's are you keeping these things in mind and where are you really trying to go? Well, what's an example of that at Beachbody where you you were faced with a real dilemma? Do you do the thing that's going to generate the revenue? Do you do the thing that's right for the customer? So, you know, I think that, that actually was an example. We did, we have, uh, you know, Shakeology is a nine figure business. And so we actually didn't give customers the ability to cancel online. And no, I mean, it's 2017, they still can't do it. And everyone's like, why? It's 2017. How come you can't do this? Sometimes the technology and the legacy systems are so deep and you try to explain this to a customer. And they're like, I don't care. I just want to be able to do it. The reality though is if you wanted to spend all the money to actually make it work feasible, it's going to derail so many other things. It's going to be a one-off. And so that's why, again, like sometimes the customer doesn't care, but you know that trying to implement that and literally that, I mean, that was an example to allow people to modify their plans and things like that online. You could go and do that, but it's going to completely derail other other areas and part, it could be part of it and it is part of a larger uh, project. So, mm. you know, sometimes again, it's, it's it, we also had one where we had to, sh- the way the technology worked, it would send orders to the warehouse real time. And so once they got to the warehouse, we actually couldn't cancel it. Yeah, I guess you could make a phone call to the warehouse, but there are thousands of orders going through and customers would call and say, hey, I want to make a change to my order or whatever. And, you know, that's a very frustrating thing to be told and certainly to tell a customer, I can't do anything about it, but I'll figure out something, right? And sometimes it was, we would reship it or, you know, we'd give them a discount, but that kind of thing, again, it's like, wait a minute, I just ordered, why can't I modify it? Well, Again, the customer doesn't care about your technology sending them sending orders to the warehouse real time. They just want to be able to do it, but you sometimes have to deal with that. And then, that, given that the, is the case, you try to figure out how do I make this right, and how do I make this right? By the way, again, that's not going to kill my business. And so, each one of these things leads to other areas. And I'll say this is part of the pain and sometimes the fun of business, which is you're trying to navigate. And ultimately, like I think most businesses succeed in spite of themselves, and you try to last long enough that some of these big things or for big or small, you just chip away at making them better. Mm. I think everyone thinks all the other people have it better in personal and professional life, right? Whether it's Facebook or your business, or you think a big, whatever big business means to you, whether it's a million or a billion, you know, I think everyone looks at someone who's bigger and thinks they have everything dialed in. That is never the case. That That's actually very comforting because that, that is the truth, at least for me, I look at some of the bigger brands and go, oh, they've got everything together. But when you actually get to know the people behind the company and you realize everybody's still figuring it out, <laughs> they're just figuring out bigger problems. Well, and honestly, when you're bigger, usually you have more cultural traditions and, and things that are ingrained and certainly technology. Um, if you're starting a business today, you are at such an advantage in many respects than other folks who started even three years ago, let alone 10, 15 years ago. So yeah, I mean, it's it's always easier to think, you know, the grass is always greener, but, and it's hard to swallow sometimes, but man, if you actually saw inside other organizations and certainly other people's lives, there's a lot of messiness going on that you, uh, you may not, you actually may think you have actually better in retrospect. Here's what I'd like to know. You know, every episode, we always make a point to really drive home something that the listener can do to implement the content. We love that they listen. We want them to take action. I think the biggest challenge for people listening to this is, and especially for us, is how do you strike the balance of generating revenue while also doing the things that are going to build the long-term brand, the long-term trust so that you do have a sustainable business for years, decades to come? What can we start to do 
to explore this? So I, I, here's, here's one place to start, because I think the application of customer experience is going to vary for the listeners and for every business. And whether you're a B2C, B2B, you're an employee or employer, I think the application of it is, is going to be a little bit different. I think one of the places to start, um, so I'll start philosophical and then move down the, the quickly here. One is, I think, is the word brand part of your lexicon? And so, like, I've on my whiteboard, I actually have the word brand just written up there because I literally need to remind myself that I'm playing the long game, that I'm personally in a brand management role for myself. And it's, I think it's a bit of, do you, whether it's a one person company or a bigger entity, do you have someone who plays a little bit of this brand manager, brand steward, or just also when you're coming to work or whatever that means for you? Does the word brand show up? And I think one of the ways to look at that is um, a professor from business school said this to me, and I will always remember this, which is he said the golden rule is wrong. And you know, everyone sits back and says, what do you mean by that? So you know, the golden rule is do unto others as you would have done unto you. Ultimately, it's the other way around. It's do unto others as they would prefer to have done unto them. And I think that is a big shift for me. And that, certainly at that moment, and that's why I've kept it, because I think as marketers, we are oftentimes, we think... We are the, our data set of one or the focus group we did is representative of the whole. And I think, yeah, you have to use some information, obviously, to piece things together. But ultimately, it's what does the consumer want? What would they prefer? What would make a great experience for them? And whether that's in your product, which, by the way, oftentimes gets way too underemphasized, which is amazing to me, um, or it's literally things like customer service or how shipping and how emails show up, like literally every part, the part that's daunting about building a brand is that everything you do affects your brand, but that's also the opportunity. But that also means that everyone in the organization or every touch point has an opportunity to affect the brand. By the way, it also has an opportunity to mess up the brand. So that's the part that's daunting. But I think part of it is a sensibility and a mindset towards does the word customer experience, does the word brand does this idea of what does the customer prefer, how does that show up every day? And when you when you make decisions, um, how people treat each other, how people treat the customer, I, for me, that's one of the bigger things. It's, it's a much more of a philosophical shift than it is, you know, implement this one little change on your website and that's going to make all the difference. Like, that's not going to make all the difference because if your product is horrible, I don't care what your customer service team, how great they are, it's going to be really hard to build the business. And, you know, there are multiple versions of this. So, I, I think one of the things I try to help people with, first of all, is start with a mindset, because if you have that approach, then you figure out how that shows up in if you have a software business, if you're a consultant, if you have a consumer business, then how it's going to show up is different. But ultimately, what, is the, what would the consumer prefer? What would be a little bit better for them? And again, keep the practicality, obviously, in mind. I'm not, it's not lost on me that you have to make money and you have to pay the bills. But it's ultimately like, are you, is it always, hey, I know what's better or because I like this, I know they will or they should, as opposed to keeping that consumer or that client in mind. And then what are those little things that you start to do differently? And by the way, sometimes like in a B2B business, I think sometimes it shows up as saying no. And it's, it's saying no to a potential client that could be worth some revenue, but it's not the right fit or you know, there are just things that are off or you just know it's not going to be a win and it's going to be a miserable project for both sides. From a consumer side, it's how does the product work sometimes? And, you know, are there little just little improvements that can make the product better or the way you deliver? Let's say subscription box. I'll give you one from there. Dollar Shave Club, I think, does this extremely well. 
they send you a notification before the next shipment's going to come out. That doesn't sound like rocket science, and that doesn't sound novel. But do you know how many subscription products and they lose because of that? Yeah, they don't do it because they hope you're trying. You're not going to cancel, or they don't want to let you know. But you know what Dollar Shave Club has done? They've turned that notification into a marketing opportunity because it's not simply, "Hey, your next shipment's coming." It's your next shipment's coming. Coming. Would you like to add anything to the order? And so you can click and add shaving cream, or you can add you know other products. And so it's better for the customer to get that notification. They know it. They have an opportunity, yeah, to cancel, but they've also turned that into a marketing and a sales opportunity. And I think that's the thing, right, is these things don't always have to be so skewed to the customer and you're going to always lose it. Sometimes it could be, hey, we're going to actually generate more money by doing something that's better for the customer, both in the short term and the longer term. Mm. So my question for you, the listeners, is when you when you hear this, First and foremost, is the word brand something that you actively talk about? Are you asking the question, am I treating my customers the way that they want to be treated? And are you considering that experience? Is it, is it really, does it come down to that, Bobak? Yeah, yeah. And, I, and the, I think, this. yes, it does. And whether you think you're trying to build a six-figure business or a 10-figure business, it still shows up. And I think that's the part. You don't have to be, your aspirations, if, they're one, if you want to build the next Coca-Cola, that's awesome. If you have no desire to do that and you just want to have whatever your business is and it doesn't have to be globally known, that's fine too. The same philosophy approaches. I mean, I got to tell you, I'm working with someone. It doesn't matter who the business is, but it's, it's, a, it's a vendor of mine. And it has not been a great experience. It doesn't matter. I'm, I told him I'm not going to say anything publicly about who he is, but he doesn't have a massive number of clients. But I will say that his brand has been tarnished because of the way he has treated me and the way he's treated other people. And so, and he's not trying to build a 10-figure business by any stretch. He's just trying to, you know, do what he does. But the number of people now that I'm running into who have had a bad experience there is growing. And so, and by the way, most of the people, probably almost everyone on this list on this podcast probably has no clue who he is. But at the same time, it's like, you don't have to be building some monster business for your brand to be affected. And by the way, you're never going to be perfect. The goal is not to be perfect. The question is, how do you manage those commitments and those broken commitments or when you mess up or you can't do it? Like, how do you deal with that? And, and I just keep, I think having this kind of sensibility in mind and approach, I, I think for me and for a lot of my clients, and for, certainly as I look at other businesses out there, it has made a big, big difference, both short-term and long-term. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate the time. Where can people learn more about you? Sure. My blog is um, my website, uh, bobakazad.com. I'm guessing there'll be a link. And then um, my web, my business website is round2partners, all letters. Yeah, that's uh, you can find out about both. Uh, I put out a decent bit of content and then uh, about the business as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll link to that below so everybody can, can click it over. And he's got some awesome articles about just really breaking down if you're going into the subscription revenue business, I would highly suggest you go check it out. I've been reading them myself and, and learning a lot. So Bob Ack, I really appreciate you, man. And if there's anything we can do to support you, please let us know. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Bob Ack Azad. As always, folks, we want you to take action. So I'm going to share the things that I wrote down that I really need to, to take action on moving forward. The first is asking the question, is the word brand part 
of your lexicon? Is it something that you talk about actively on a regular basis? Number two, do you consider the experience your customers are having with you? Are you treating others the way that they want to be treated? The third thing that stuck with me is when Bobak said, the goal is not to be perfect in terms of customer experience or in terms of your brand. It's not to be perfect. It's how you handle the situations when you are not perfect. That resonated with me. I know from working with so many of you, whether it's in time blocking mastery or in living your one thing, we have this idea that we have to choose the right one thing. We have this idea that we have to do everything that is on our 411. We have to be perfect on our 66 day challenge. Instead, we suggest that you recognize that you're human and you are likely going to fail. How do you get back on the horse? How do you keep moving forward, taking action every single day? Even if you had a failure yesterday, how do you do better today? Because living the one thing is a lifelong journey. You are on a road to mastery, which means inherently there is no destination. There is no arrival. You are forever improving. What does that look like in terms of your business, in terms of your customer experience? Our suggestion is that if you can consider the customer experience, if you can find a way to make sure that you are putting them first, do you think you'd build a more sustainable business that could scale? We do. Hopefully this episode has brought value to you. If you have not yet subscribed to the show, please click that subscribe button so all future episodes like this one with Bob Ack will automatically be downloaded to your device. If you have not yet left us a rating, a review in iTunes, please do so. We read every single one. They mean the world to us. And if you can think of somebody who needs to hear this episode, it would mean so much if you could share this with them. We see every single month our podcast growing in numbers and we do zero advertising for this thing. So we know it is growing organically, which means you are sharing it. That's how we know we're doing our job. If you are sharing it, then we know we are doing our job. If that growth falls off, we know we got a problem. So thank you in advance for that as well. With that, look forward to seeing you in the next episode.